The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. As we get going, I just got a question for y'all. I want you to discuss it amongst yourselves. Really simple question, uh, and that's this. It's, what is your most memorable birthday? All right, next 60 seconds, just with the folks near you. What is your most memorable birthday? Go. All right. Well, hopefully that was enough time for y'all as we uh, gather our thoughts back together. So I I was talking with my friend Mason here, and he just shared with me his most memorable birthday was when his mom and dad took him to SeaWorld. It was a pretty good time. Uh, And so the the whole reason I I wanted to bring up this idea of birthdays is, is birthdays are a celebration, right? Like we love to celebrate as a culture, as a people, we love to celebrate and have fun. And Easter today is a celebration. Today is a celebration. It's a big deal. And I'm sure for like a couple weeks now, many of y'all have seen that like all the churches in our city, we're kind of doing like everything we can to invite people to be a part of this celebration. Like I've seen billboards and social media ads and radio ads and mailers and newspaper ads and like everything you can think of, all the churches in our city, ourselves included, are doing whatever we can to invite people to be a part of Easter, to invite people to celebrate this day with us. Uh, in fact, last year, um, some of you will remember this, uh, we, we wanted to do Easter big, right? We had big dreams for ourselves. We probably got too big for our britches, to be quite honest. Uh, and we uh, rented out the amphitheater uh, here in Leander at Robin Bledsoe Park. And we were like, we're blowing things up. Like we, we took out like two ads in newspapers. We like sent out all these mailers. We had signs up forever. We're inviting everyone we could. Like it was going to be huge. We're baptizing my daughter that day. Like it was just going to be awesome. Like we're just so excited. And then Easter Sunday came and it rained. And it rained. And it wasn't like, if, if you were there and you remember this, it wasn't like a good rain either. You know, it wasn't like, well, it rained. I guess it's canceled. I guess we're done. No, it was this terrible stuff. Like it was like just this mist. Like you just sort of sat there and all of a sudden you're like, I turned into a sponge. Like there was no, it wasn't falling down. It was just wet around you and you didn't know where it was coming from. Um, And so it was just miserable. It was like the worst weather we could have had for Easter. And yet we muscled through. We did it. We didn't do it this year, but we did it. Now, why do we do that? Why do we sit outside in the rain and praise Jesus last year? And why are churches around our city literally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to invite people to Easter? And why are literally billions of people around the globe being crammed into cathedrals and churches and houses and even storefronts? Why are we all doing this? Because Easter is the day in which we celebrate the most important day 
in the history of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important day in the history of the world. And it's gripped the hearts of billions of people throughout time, throughout cultures, different languages. It's the most important day in the history of the world. And here's why it's that way. See, the resurrection account, the story of Jesus rising from the dead, it makes claims on us as humanity. When, when we read that story, when we see it, it, it claims something on us. And these, these are the claims it makes. First of all, it makes a historical claim. And it claims, hey, this actually happened in history. Secondly, it makes a cosmic claim. That not only did this happen in history, but it actually means something for the world. Then thirdly, it makes a personal claim. That the resurrection of Jesus means something to each one of us personally. That when you hear the resurrection of Jesus, you've got to respond to it. And so that's what we can see in our text for today. That the resurrection of Jesus from the dead makes a historical claim, makes a cosmic claim, and it makes a personal claim. All right, so let's get into it. A historical claim. Look with me at verses 1 to 7. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. But of them, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. All right. So one of Jesus' followers, Mary Magdalene, Sunday morning, go do her thing. And she goes to the tomb where Jesus is buried, where he's supposed to be. She saw him die on Friday. He's supposed to be there. She shows up. The, tomb is, or the, the stone is rolled away. Jesus' body isn't there. So she freaks out. What's going on? Runs back, tells some of Jesus' other followers, Peter and John, and says, hey, guys, Jesus' body isn't there. I don't know what's going on. And so they're like, all right, we got to check this out, what's going on. And so they take off running. Peter and John run into the tomb. Uh, and since John's writing the gospel, I love this part. Uh, John mentions that he beats Peter to the tomb first. Uh, it was like one of my favorite parts. Like, for all of you know, the centuries that follow, John forever is faster than Peter, and he can say it. <laughs> Uh, which is awesome. Uh, so, so he gets there, and they get there, and then it gets into all this weird detail. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed verses 6 and 7. Like, John's like, well, and I looked inside, but I didn't go in. But Peter looked inside, and then he went in, and there's some claws there, and there's this head cloth, and it was sitting here, but it wasn't there, and it was folded up nice and neat. Why does he go into all that detail? Like, it's weird. Why does he go into all that detail? Here's why. Because as far as John is concerned, this is reportage. As far as John is concerned, he's just recording an historical event. Just writing down what's happening. And here's why I point this out. Uh, So this year we sent out 10,000 direct mailers to folks in our community to invite them to to celebrate Easter with us. And uh, we actually got one of those mailers given back to us. Uh, which is not what you're going for. But but we got one given back to us, slid through our front door, and I want to show it to you all. So it said this. I took a picture of it. All right, so you can see there on our mailer, it says suffered, died, risen. Uh, and then kind of above it, uh, it's got this list of uh, mythological figures. So Horus, 
uh, Heracles, Dionysus, whatever. And the claim here is that they all suffered, died, and rose. And this individual asks, well, which one are you celebrating? Now, some of you maybe have never heard this before and don't understand what's going on, but the, the jab here, there's a jab kind of taken at us as a church, uh, is, is that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is just one resurrection myth among many. That there have been thousands of resurrection myths throughout ancient uh, you know, religions, and Jesus just happens to be one. And so the logic here is, well, hey, none of us really believe in Horus rising from the dead, and so why do you stupid Christians believe in Jesus rising from the dead? That's kind of the logic here. Now, this theory, it's been around for a while. Uh, it was popularized by a 2007 YouTube video, the height of scholarship, um, called Zeitgeist. And, uh, and I've actually seen it. Uh, it's entertaining, but it's mostly nonsense. And, uh, and, and I'm not being mean, and I don't want to speak ill of, of this individual, um, but after I saw that film, uh, instead of being like, ah, YouTube told me the truth today, uh, I looked into to some scholarly journals and read some ancient Near Eastern scholars who specialize in this, aren't Christians, don't have a dog in this fight, and 95% of that is just not true. Like, in their stories, they don't die and rise. Like, it just doesn't happen. The one exception being Dionysus, who dies every winter and rises again every spring, which is an entire another story. Now, why do I tell you all this? Because I'm assuming for most of you, this is probably the first time you've ever heard of this theory in your life. Is that probably correct, right? Like, and, and I'm doubting any of you are like, well, I was thinking of worshiping Horace's resurrection today, but I just, like, that's not happening, right? Like, I'm not worried about that. The reason I bring this up is there's a tendency in our culture to sentimentalize the resurrection. There's a tendency in our culture to, to over-spiritualize the resurrection. There's a, a tendency to sort of relegate the story of Jesus rising from the dead as sort of a nice story of good triumphing over evil, of life coming from death. And while Jesus' resurrection certainly points to those truths, the reality is the radical claim of Easter it's that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, a real man who lived and breathed in this world, on this planet, actually died, was actually killed. And the crazy claim of Easter is that he actually rose again to new life, right here, in time and in space, in history. That's the claim of Easter. In uh, reflecting on our reading for today in, in John, um, the, the great thinker C.S. Lewis actually made a, a comment about the, the literary style of John and, and how it's a historical claim. He wrote this, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. Of this text, there are only two possible views. Either... This is reportage. Or else, some unknown writer in the second century, without known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic, realistic narrative. If it is untrue, it must be narrative of that kind. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. Now, I love that last sentence. 
you know, if you, if you don't see this, you haven't learned really. That's Lewis, the professor. He's got to be kind of condescending at the, the last line there. Uh, but, but bottom line is, the, the resurrection of Jesus makes this incredible historical claim that you just got to deal with. Like, either there are a bunch of liars that really liked being killed for what they were talking about, or it's true. That's what the resurrection does, is it forces this historical claim on us as people. But as massive as this historical claim is, it's got nothing on the cosmic claim. That the resurrection of Jesus somehow shifts things in the world. That this man rising from the dead actually changes stuff forever. See, the disciples in our text, they don't even see that coming. They have no idea that this is what's going on, right? I don't know if you guys caught it, as the, as the story continues, uh, so Peter and John are there with Mary Magdalene, they're checking out the tomb, and Peter and John are like, oh, he's not here, this is weird, and they just go and leave. And, and Mary stays, and she's hanging out, and she looks inside the tomb, and there's two angels there. And so she starts talking to them, uh, as, as one does when you encounter angels, and, uh, and so, so she's talking to them, and, and she's crying, and she doesn't assume, as she's talking to them, she doesn't assume that Jesus is risen from the dead. Like, that'd be crazy. And so she just says, hey, uh, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And then this happens, verses 14 and 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. All right, so what's going on here? So, so Mary turns around. There's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. But who does she think she is? Or who does she think he is? Who does she think he is? She looks, verse 15, she thinks he's the gardener. The gardener. Now that little detail that John puts in the gospel here is actually, it's huge. It's massive. Because a major theme throughout the Gospel of John is this idea of creation. And that Jesus is somehow fixing our broken creation. See, the Gospel of John begins with these words, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible that tells the creation story, begins with these words, in the beginning, God created. So they start the same way. And then the creation count, there's seven days of creation in, in the creation story in Genesis. And then in the Gospel of John, there's seven miracles that Jesus performs in which he's mending back together the fabric of creation that's been broken by sin. And so there's this theme woven throughout the Gospel of John. And if you read it closely, you're saying, all right, what's next? What's going to happen? What's, what's going on here? Well, if we think about the creation story, it starts with God creating a garden. Like God's a gardener. And he walks with humanity in this garden that's good. And that as humanity rebels against him, they get kicked out of the garden. And they move away from the presence of God. And so check out what's happening here. When John says that Mary thought he was the gardener, he's saying, hey, God the gardener is back. That God is restoring his broken creation. That God's taking the broken pieces of this world and through this resurrected Jesus is somehow bringing them back together. That everything that's messed up and painful, God is healing through the resurrection of Jesus. That somehow, through his resurrection, God is launching a whole new creation right here in the midst of the old one. 
Author Chad Bird puts it like this. On Easter, Jesus finally finished writing Genesis 1-2. He stepped out of the tomb, took pen in hand, and wrote on the Torah scroll. And there was evening, and there was morning, the seventh day. He began the eighth day, after which there is no other. It is the everlasting day of an everlasting kingdom, which we enter on the ark of baptism, made new and whole in him who accomplished a regenesis of the world for us. In other words, the cosmic claim of Easter is that God is through the resurrected Jesus putting the pieces back together of our broken world. That he's renewing all things through the resurrected Jesus. Now, of course, you watch the news, I watch the news, there's plenty of pain, there's plenty of struggle, there's plenty of violence and hatred in our world. But Easter tells us that God has begun to repair that. And he's begun to do that through Jesus Christ. And that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring about God's full healing. And things are going to be restored to the way they're supposed to be. Now I say all this and someone says, so what? Okay, you make your big historical claim, you got your big cosmic claim, it's all very exciting, but like, what does that have to do with me? Point three, Easter makes a personal claim on you. Makes a personal claim on you. Look with me at verses 16 to 18. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So Mary's been talking to Jesus, saying like, hey, talking to Jesus, asking him, do you know where Jesus is, right? She, she doesn't recognize him, can't see him, doesn't know who he is, and then all of a sudden, just this beautiful moment, right? Jesus just says her name. Just says Mary. Boom. Instantly the lights turn on, right? She grabs hold of him. She says, teacher, it's you. You're here. You're alive. She freaks out. She's so excited that she's seen Jesus. See, it's one thing for Easter to be a historical event. It's another thing for it to be a cosmic event. But man, when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says your name, that is completely life-altering. And can I tell you, that is like my deepest prayer for each of you here this morning. That you'd hear the resurrected Jesus say your name. And that you'd turn and grab hold of him. I mean, that's why we're here. Like, that, like, that's why our church exists. That's why I'm up here flapping my lips. Because the reality is, Jesus is real, and he's alive, and he's calling out to you. He's calling out to you. And some of you, you've heard him call your name. You've turned around, you grabbed on. And let's just keep hanging on together, all right? And some of you, you've maybe heard him call your name, but it's kind of faded for a while kind of doing your own thing. He seemed a lot less important. Can I encourage you? See him again. Hear his voice again. Grab onto him again. Some of you, maybe he's called your name and you're just ignoring it. Like you don't want to listen to it because if you did, it would completely flip your life upside down and you don't want to deal with that. 
Can I tell you something? It will. But he is infinitely better than anything else in this world. He is worth hanging on to. And some of you, maybe you're like my friend who I was hanging out with last Sunday. Uh, so last Sunday I did uh, our, our high school youth group here, and, and we're hanging out. It's a great time. And then afterwards, I was driving home, but I was driving by the, the soccer field that, that I play soccer at. And I saw some games going on, and I thought, hey, I'll see if any of my buddies are there. And so I stopped, and one of the guys on my team was there. And so, so he and I uh, set up two lawn chairs, and uh, we just sat and watched a bunch of, of soccer games. And uh, we, uh, you know, drank a couple Lone Stars, just a couple. Uh, and uh, and we, we, we just talked about life, and uh, we're just talking about life. And, and he's been kind of... Uh, kicking the tires on Christianity for a while, and he and I have talked about it, and, and uh, he's actually worshipped here several times, and, and um, he's just been kicking the tires on it and just not sure, kind of peeking over the fence. And, uh, and I just said to him towards the end, I was like, bro, let's just get down to it. Like, like where are you at with Jesus? Like, like what's going on with you and Jesus? And, uh, and he said to me, he said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. He said, like, he's like, I get it. He's like, I, I get what you talk about up there, Gabe, and I get what you're all excited about, and I appreciate it, and I think that's fine. But he said, it's just like the, the switch just hasn't flipped for me. Like, I, I just, it just hasn't happened. And that, and that may be some of you this morning. That may be some of you here this morning. That maybe you, you're thinking, Gabe, you're talking about hearing Jesus call my name. I don't think I've ever heard that. Well, let me tell you, if you're here this morning, listen, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're coming from, I'm telling you, Jesus is calling your name. He says he loves you. He says forgiveness and new life and hope of eternity with him are yours. My prayer is that you turn and grab hold of him because he's real. He's changing the world. And he's invited you to be with him this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for my friends. Thank you for these folks that you brought here this morning. God, I pray that, that we would hear from you, that those of us who've heard you call our name, that we'd continue to hang on to you together. Those of us who are thinking about you again, maybe for the first time in a while, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak into the hearts of, of those folks. And God, for friends of mine who've never heard you call their name, I, I pray that they'd know that you are for them, that you're their Savior, you're their Lord, you're the one who's calling them. May they grab onto you this day and always. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.